Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. Um, but uh, what I wanted to do this morning, if you're visiting with us or you're newer to our church, I apologize. Normally we are preaching through a book of the Bible on Sunday mornings, but um, uh, for those of you maybe who aren't aware, I had the opportunity to take a, a short uh, sabbatical in the month of March, and a lot of things came out of that that I wanted to share with the church, things that were beneficial to me personally, spiritually, and I want to share some of that with you, but also uh, help us to think about um, just the direction of ministry and some of the exciting things that um, Son and I have been talking through and thinking about over these last couple of weeks. And uh, so this this morning is really an opportunity for me to give you a report. Last Sunday being Resurrection Sunday really wasn't the right time to get into all of that. We needed to uh, anchor our minds and hearts to to the resurrection hope, and, and we hopefully were able to do that. And uh, But this morning, what I want to do is, is kind of give you a, 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 a report. Uh, this is not a sermon per se, although it has an outline, because I think that's important. Good homiletics are important. Uh, gives a sense of structure and direction to things, and um, but I do I do want to uh, bring us along in those things. My my goal this morning is to give in this report this kind of overview is to do a few things. One is to share with the church some of the things that I learned, things that I thought were beneficial, instru- instructive to my own heart. Uh, also to share some of the things that I spent extended time thinking about, and that's one of the blessings of this break, is it's given me an opportunity, it gave me an opportunity to just think, which is hard to do when you're in the whirlwind of weekly sermon preparation and ministry, so it was really helpful for me just to take a step back and, and just think about things, as well as to stir up our hearts. I think a third thing I want to do this morning is to stir up our hearts for what lies ahead for us as a church, because I think we have much to be excited about, much to be thankful for as we press into this gracious privilege of um, making and maturing disciples of Christ to run to win. That's our, that's our purpose as a church, and, uh, and we hope to continue to do that. So um, just kind of by way of a little bit of review and introduction, what was the purpose of this sabbatical, or what is the purpose of any sabbatical uh, for a pastor uh, in my Uh, in my position here, simply put, uh, I needed to recharge and I needed to refresh. I was um, definitely running on fumes the last couple of months. Uh, The stats on pastoral ministry are kind of staggering when you look at them in terms of the average tenure of a pastor uh, in a church, something like like three years or four years or something like that. It's it's, obviously, um, you know, when you have... uh, averages uh, people on the short end kind of skew the average but but honestly just looking across the landscape you see a lot of guys that are in and out of churches in a in a handful of years and they've been some of the guys I graduated with from seminary 13 years ago have been in three and four different churches in this time and some of that's not their fault but um, some of it is their fault and some of it is just the, the nature of the job um, but there are a lot of emotional tolls that come with ministry and I think Paul captures a little bit of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, as he's kind of describing his, his life, he goes through all these kind of, um, uh, kind of physical challenges uh, that he experienced as, as an apostle traveling around with his life in his hands. But then in verse 28, he says, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Now, I don't carry that weight of responsibility by any stretch, and neither does Son. But we do share in some small way in that, in terms of a burden for 
the church, for God's people. And we don't experience the persecution by God's grace, and we don't experience the, uh, the physical trials that Paul experienced. But it's, uh, but it's a significant weight. I think it does weigh on us. And uh, navigating that normally, and then you throw in what basically unfolded between 2020 and last year in terms of uh, pandemic and all the uncertainty that, that that created for us in ministry, especially in 2020, 2021, um, I, I, I was drained, just mentally, physically a little bit worn out and needed some time to recover. And uh, <laughs> it's like a it's like if you've ever worked out too hard and then you keep to a schedule and then you try and keep the next day, okay, I'm going to do this again, eventually you end up hurting yourself. And that was my concern and fear is if I just kind of kept muscling through that it would be not good for me spiritually, practically, and it wouldn't be beneficial for the church. And so I asked the guys last year if that would be possible, and they were so kind to do that. Even Jesus said in Mark 6, come away yourselves to his disciples to a secluded place and rest a while. And it says in the in the parentheses, for they were there were many people coming and going, and uh, the disciples did not even have time to eat. So that's the kind of um, I think reminder that we get as pastors, as shepherds, that um, that we need to we need to have time away to rest and refresh. So by your gracious provision, the church allowed me that time off, and I'm thankful for it. I just want to communicate thank you for letting that happen. Um, My prayer was going into this time that the Lord would grant fresh energy, fresh earnestness, fresh excitement for ministry as we continue on this gospel work, and I can say with confidence he's answered that prayer. This has been very, very helpful for me, so I just thank you for that. So um, what was I doing uh, during this time uh, with all that time off? Well, I'm kind of give you a, a quick overview, and then we'll get into the, the, the outline of what I want to talk about. Uh, first, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of reading, and um, that was really cool. I don't get lots of chances to do that. Reading the scriptures uh, without any pressure to turn it into a sermon, without any pressure to turn it into an equipping hour lesson. Uh, reading books about the scriptures, a um, handful of resources. I'll maybe share a little bit some of those later. Uh, I was able to carve out time along with reading to, to pray which was really good, um, you know, just, you know, prayed about you guys and prayed for various needs that I was aware of in the church, prayed for clarity and wisdom and how to lead the church kind of going forward so that we can do that with, with insight and prayer for my family, prayer for our missionary partners, um, prayer regarding just things I was kind of absorbing and taking in from reading the Word of God, just praying through those things. So the mornings were, most days, were filled with with reading, just getting up, plopping down at my desk like I normally do, but instead of like cranking something out, just reading and kind of soaking in the Word of God. So that was really wonderful. Um, I also did some home projects, and you probably don't care too much about this, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Uh, Once things would warm up in the afternoons, because it was usually cold in the morning, I got outside, uh, reorganized our shed, which was a disaster. I built some shelves for that. Knocked out the bulk of our landscaping to take the desert and turn it into an oasis. Maybe. We'll see what the plants come look like. But uh, No, but things are, are much better out there than they were, say, a month ago. Uh, and we did have an opportunity to do some uh, zipping around, some traveling. We did go up to see our sister Melanie in Pennsylvania. What a joy that was. She just... Uh, just blessed us beyond measure. It was all we could eat, every meal. It was just 
she just pulled out all the stops, and we're so grateful for her hospitality. Um, we actually got to tour the 9-11 memorial that's near her home there in uh, Shanksville, which is really cool if you ever get a chance to go. And then uh, the second to last weekend, my mother was here, and so we went to church in Emmanuel Bible Church that Sunday, and we were, since we're in that area, we went to Mount Vernon. I've never uh, been to Mount Vernon since we moved here thir- uh, 10 years ago. So um, we did stuff like that. And then, of course, we did lots of uh, you know fun things, like we went bowling, we uh, we went. Audra and I went ice skating, uh, which I know she wanted to do. We slept in a bunch, went out. Uh, Trish and I had a chance to go out a couple times. We we did uh, go karting with a, that kind of thing. So just it was good. It was fun time. And then the last thing, just point out of kind of structure, we visited some other churches on Sundays because we weren't here. So we had a chance to go to Grace Bible Church in Percival. We had a chance to visit um, Sterling Park Baptist Church just around the corner. Um, We went to Emmanuel Bible Church one Sunday down in Springfield, as well as, um, uh, where else did we go? Yes, Cross Life Bible Fellowship in Falls Church one Sunday. Um, And then one Sunday we watched on the live stream. So so grateful for that uh, and thankful for Son's uh, preaching and teaching and uh, ministry of the Word each week um, that I was gone. So that was kind of the structure of things. Um, And so what I want to do this morning is... Uh, while those things were going on, though, I, I was thinking, doing just a lot of thinking, um, started staring out the window a lot <laughs> in my desk, which is kind of a good way to, to do that, thinking about the Lord, thinking about ministry, thinking about how to better serve the various people God's put in my life, this church, my family, our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so my aim or my purpose uh, as a church has been from the beginning uh, to glorify God by making and maturing disciples of Christ who run to win. That's been our anchor for uh, all the years that the Lord has privileged me to be here. And we do that in three ways. Remember, we, we lift high, God high through his word. We do that in building up the body in love. And thirdly, by sowing gospel seed. Those are the kind of the three legs of how we accomplish that making and maturing disciples of Christ. And so that's how I want to kind of structure our time this morning. I want to I want to share some of the takeaways I had from all that thinking as it relates to each leg of our philosophy of ministry, um, you know, and, and hopefully that'll give you a little bit of structure and um, organization. So what was some of the fruit of my study and reflection as it relates to the first leg of our philosophy of ministry, lifting God high through his word? This is the discipline of worship that the church is called to do, um, and uh, First, I spent a fair amount of time rereading and reading, reading and rereading Isaiah. Okay, um, you think why Isaiah? Well, before right before I went on the break, you remember in equipping hour, if you were a part of our Old Testament survey, we I, I did a, um, a lesson on Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations, and I was really kind of drawn in by the book again, in a fresh way. It's a challenging book. It's a uh, it's it's a book that is big, like it's a lot of material, like it's a ton of text. And it's a book that many of us, including myself, probably don't know as well as we ought to. And so uh, for those reasons, I was motivated to go deeper. I was motivated to dig in. And the more I read and the more I kind of turned it over my mind, the more interested it became and the more I was gripped by it. And I think it's a portion of scripture that preaches a timely message for us, even today. Um, One of the major themes of the book is God's salvation of his people through judgment and chastening. Uh, 
that theme of salvation through judgment. It's not salvation apart from judgment and chastening, but salvation for God's people through judgment. And, uh, and how God does that in the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah is extremely important, I think, for us to understand today in the world that we live in now, because there are a number of parallels in what we see happening in our world, broader Western world today, and how we as God's people uh, respond to that. How, how we, how, as you read Isaiah, it's clear how God's people were supposed to think and respond to his chastening and judgment, and how they actually responded to his chastening and judgment. Uh, those are set in contrast, and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, those things were written in the Old Testament um, as examples, as types for us, so that we would not desire evil things like they did. So there's a lot of warning in this book, in Isaiah. There's a lot of wisdom, and there's a lot of insight for you and for me as God's new covenant people that we can benefit from and glean. And so, uh, and, and then, of course, alongside that, Isaiah is literally quoted all over the New Testament. I mean, there's hundreds of uh, direct quotations and allusions to Isaiah in the New Testament. So it's a book that deals with that moment in time in Israel's history, but it deals with this moment in time because it looks to the new covenant age, and it deals obviously with the future, the eternity. So it covers everything. There's just a lot to learn from this book. And so that is why we are going to be taking the next couple of months to preach through that. So um, you think, oh my goodness, what is that going to look like? If you're not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be verse by verse or paragraph by paragraph, because that would be a, that would be a multi-decade commitment. What I want to do is preach through it big section by big section. So we, I'm envisioning roughly 10 to 12 messages, uh, picking it up, the flow of the book, uh, the first being next week in, in chapters one to five. So um, we're going to get the big picture, and hopefully as we get done with that, we'll better understand this important prophetic portion of the scriptures. Uh, when that's over, though, and that, that'll take us up to the summer, Lord willing, uh, Son and I were in agreement that the next thing we want to do is to finish First Peter. So he got it started for us. He introduced it. He got us into those first 12 verses. Uh, I will go ahead and pick that up, and we will run with the rest of that book in uh, the balance of the year. One of the things that we have an obligation to do as pastors, as shepherds, is to equip God's people to suffer well. And I think one, one thing, among many, that the pandemic exposed, I think, in the broader evangelical church, I'm not necessarily singling out this church, but is that God's people on the whole don't really know how to process and respond to circumstances they can't control. I think that was obvious to us, at least initially. And so in the absence of control, then we often turn to other things and other people to try and process the why and to to get our bearings and anchor ourselves in uncertainty when what we ought to do is to humbly turn to God, who is unchangeable, who is um, trustworthy and omnipotent, and the one who holds every molecule of the universe in place, and we need to look to him. And so um, right now, I think by God's grace, we are in a season of strength as a whole. I mean, we are, we are not under a duress, at least in our current context, and the Lord, as I had a pastor mentor uh, many years ago, said, Jeff, Lord gives you seasons of strength to prepare you for seasons of suffering. 
So I think we have an obligation while we are operating in a season of strength to make hay while the sun is shining, as, it sa- as the saying goes, and to look to Peter's inspired letter, which centers on this theme of standing firm in the midst of suffering. We need to equip ourselves for whatever, and I don't know what that is, but whatever the Lord has for us um, down the road, personally or even collectively as his church. So that's what we'll be looking at in our exposition week by week for at least for the next six months. Um, that's, that's, the direction that we're, that's the direction that we are going. Um, uh, another thing, uh, also under the heading of lifting God high through his word, I gave a lot of thought to the worship service itself. And I was really benefited by a small little book entitled Praying in Public, which deals with this whole idea of corporate prayer on the Lord's Day, which is something that I had a lot of uh, interest in, in digging into. Uh, for a little while now, I have been thinking about how can we foreground prayer in the worship service more? Uh, well-prepared, focused prayer. That's the goal. Um, leading corporate prayer has its own challenges. It's not just like praying in private. It's different in some ways. And, it is, um, and it's a challenge, honestly. I've felt that acutely at times since the church has called me. It's not something that I've always felt super comfortable with. And so as a church, I think we rightfully foreground preaching. We write, write in, intentionally foreground the Word of God and the proclamation of the Word of God. But I feel like that also can um, overshadow all the other things that should be happening in the worship service. And so my hope is to bring a little bit more balance to the church service by not just talking and singing about God, but also talking to God in the discipline of corporate prayer. So, um, and I think the other benefit of that from a discipleship angle is that in incorporating more prayer throughout the service allows many of the men opportunities to lead those portions of the service. And the feedback that I got was that people appreciated seeing different guys up here leading those, those times of prayer. And so we want to continue that. And uh, more prayer gives more opportunities. It helps those men hone that ministry skill. It also distributes the work of ministry across the church body, which is what we want to do. And uh, so there's lots of benefits to this. A corporate prayer in the Protestant church context historically has been focused with different aspects of prayer at different points in the service. So you have prayers of praise and adoration and thanksgiving, prayers that focus on confession, kind of corporate confession, and assurance of pardon and prayers of supplication where we entreat the Lord for specific things. So going forward, we are going to incorporate each of those different aspects of prayer throughout the service in a more distinct way. So rather than having one giant Costco-sized pastoral prayer in the middle of the service, we will, um, we will have several focused prayers throughout the service. And you may have noticed that even this morning, our call to worship had sort of a praise component to it. Son led us in a prayer of confession, and the pastoral prayer focused more on supplication and, and asking the Lord to provide those things. And so that's, that's intentional, and, uh, and that'll be kind of the structure of things going forward. Also, I was convicted after visiting a handful of other churches that we need more scripture to be read as part of the worship service. We do scripture reading, and sometimes those are big chunks, but I also want to include the Old Testament in that as well as our New Testament reading. So adding that standalone Old Testament reading each week, I think, has the benefit of just putting more of God's Word in our hearts 
in our minds, which is can't go wrong hearing God's word. And um, additionally, adding an Old Testament reading, I think, lends itself seamlessly into prayer of confession because God's law reminds us that we have fallen short of God's holiness and that we need uh, Christ who has fulfilled the law on our behalf uh, to be our righteousness. He is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I mean Romans 10, uh, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, but Christ isn't the end of the law, period, <laughs> right? We're not under the law, per se. We are under grace, which is even a higher law. God's law reveals his character. It reveals our sinful condition, and uh, even amongst us who have been born again. So God's law also, John 10, herds us like sheep into the door of the sheep, which is toward Christ. And Jesus said, uh, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So so those are kind of a couple of changes that we'll see. You may have noticed even this morning there was just in different aspects of prayer. Um, Old Testament reading to go accompany our normal New Testament reading. And then thirdly, for some time now, I've wanted to um, pivot away from the welcome announcements stuff in the middle of the service. Now, um, I've felt for quite some time that that, in a way that is not helpful, takes everyone's eyes off of the Lord, off of what we're kind of focused on, and it kind of pivots to like an intermission kind of a feel to it. And I don't like that, and I don't think it's helpful. Um, We moved it, we used to do it at the beginning, and then years ago we moved it to the middle of the service because uh, not everyone is seated and ready to go when the service starts, and so sometimes people would miss announcements, they would miss um, those communications and exhortations, which are intentional, and obviously we don't want people missing that kind of stuff. However, I don't want to continue to build the service around people not getting here on time. (laughs) I just don't think that's the best way to think about it. So um, we want to put that portion of our service, welcome, announcements, any scripture memory, recall kind of stuff, do all that before the service, put it in its proper place as a pre-worship service communication interaction. And when we have the call to worship, then our hearts and minds are focused on the Lord and his word, you know, for the balance of the service. So, So once the service starts, we're focused on God and God alone, and we don't have kind of a, a mid-service spiritual intermission. So that's a change that uh, you'll notice kind of immediately as we, as we think about the, the worship service. So those are all kinds of things that I'm thinking about in terms of uh, order of service changes. So, so going forward, I would encourage you to think about the cor- corporate worship service in terms of essential blocks. All right, this is pointed out helpfully in that resource on corporate prayer that I mentioned and I think this is a uh, best way to think, uh, uh, the best way. And we kind of already do this, but it, it's just helpful to make it clear. Think about the church corporate worship service in terms of four essential blocks. First is praise. Praise is like one block. Now, obviously there's overlap, but, but that includes singing hymns, songs of praise. That might include responsive readings from the scriptures. It might include um, reciting historic creeds. That might in, uh, obviously involves prayer of adoration and praise. So, so praise is like one big block of the service. Another, the second would be uh, another essential block of the worship service is renewal. So that includes prayers of confession, 
uh, assurance of pardon, songs of preparation, which we do, uh, the offering, longer congregational prayers of supplication, where we're interceding for needs in the church, uh, spiritual and practical. Uh, so renewal, you know, coming to the Lord with a spirit of, uh, Lord, um, wash us, strengthen us, um, give us what is necessary because he is the one who supplies all of our needs. Uh, third kind of essential block, so we've got praise, renewal. Third, proclamation. Proclamation. So this is going to include things like um, a prayer before the sermon, prayer for illumination, the sermon itself, or obviously the content of the preaching of the Word of God. But it also includes the Lord's table, which is a proclamation of the, the promises of God to his people and a reminder, as well as the, um, the ordinance of baptism, which is a profession and proclamation of faith in Christ in a public context. So, so we want to think about that as its own block. And then lastly, so we have praise, renewal, proclamation, and a fourth and final essential block is response. How do we respond to those things? That includes a song of response, which we always have done, a hymn that includes a prayer, a final prayer, a benediction, that kind of thing. So there's an intentionality to what we do when we gather and how we do it. And I think it's important not only for us as leaders, worship leaders, to know and understand that, but it's also important for you all to understand that. Um, and uh, understand that, you know, understand it and value that. I know it's, and I know because I've been there, it's, it's easy to soothe the conscience rolling in late if all you think you're missing is just a couple of songs and a prayer. But it's a little harder to justify missing the beginning 20 minutes of the service, knowing that you've missed the entire corporate time of praise or the entire and, and good portion of the time of spiritual renewal. So when we think about the scripture, the, the structure of the service, we want it to be uh, every aspect of it is important. Every aspect of it is intentional. So from the call to worship to the benediction, we want that to be uh, uh, intentionally uh, participated in with uh, with the whole church. So so those are some things that um, I just spent a, a ton of time thinking about and um, pouring over. And so you'll notice those, those are some of the kind of changes that are coming in, um, well, starting this week, I guess. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll continue that. And we may, may fine-tune things or tweak things a little bit as we go. Uh, finally, as it relates to this first point of lifting God high through his word, um, I was able to read a short little volume on, um, by Athanasius, and it's not, um, like it's well known, but it's called On the Incarnation. So Athanasius was a fourth century bishop. He was instrumental in defending the, um, the deity of Christ uh, against Arianism in, in that time. And, uh, and the person of Christ. And he has this little book called In the Incarnation. It's tiny, but I want to tell you, it's a potent defense of the gospel. It is really, really well done. And, uh, and it obviously focuses on the person and work of Christ. We're actually going to have a copy of it in the, on the shelf there in the foyer. So I would uh, highly, highly recommend that you check it out at some point and read it. You can probably read it in a few days. It's really really uh, accessible. The English translation is current. It's, it's, it reads quickly. 
There are both scriptural proofs and logical proofs for Jesus' incarnation. It, it just underscores that we can reason with and without the Bible for the reasonableness of our Christian faith. We can do, we can do both. And I think he does an excellent job of showing how to do that. There are, um, when you read it, you'll walk away even more convinced that God could do no other than what he did to rescue sinners. I think that was my big takeaway from the book. And he actually says that, why it had to be exactly the way God did it. So um, you'll, you'll find that very valuable. When you read it, you will uh, see that there's all these wonderful analogies that he uses throughout that are really helpful and are excellent for preaching Christ and are excellent for um, just sharing the gospel with people in an evangelistic context. So lots of good word pictures that you can pick up and, and put to use immediately. So this is a resource that would, uh, I ex- anticipate reading multiple times to better understand, because it's one of those things I think every time you come back to it, you'll gain something more from it. So I would highly, highly recommend that. I also started reading Augustine's On the Trinity. That's a little bit harder. <laughs> that was a lot heavier lifting. We will also have that in the foyer as well. Um, but if um, So it's one of those things you've got to take it in small chunks because that translation isn't as clear, and his writing style is much more um, academic, I guess, much more precise. But uh, anyway, those are just two resources that I found really helpful and practical. So I hope that you will uh, take, a, take a look at those when, when you have a chance. So that's kind of everything as it relates to worship and study and those kinds of things, kind of lets you know where we're going in terms of ministry stuff. Secondly, kind of the second point, what was the fruit of my study and reflection as it relates to the first, the second leg of our philosophy ministry, which is uh, building up the body in love? Um, this is really important because this, in, you know, it captures so much of, uh, of what we do as a church on a week-to-week basis. Uh, every church, every church has some kind of, at least I'm pretty sure, every church has some kind of governing documents that spell out the purpose of the church. Um, they spell out the, you know, who its officers are, how it's supposed to function, what constitutes membership, and so forth. Uh, what do they do with resources if they ever stop? Uh, the two documents that our church has that do that are our constitution and our bylaws. Um, the founding pastor elder of this church many years ago pulled these documents together, presumably building off something he got from other churches. And um, they're not as clear and useful as we really need them to be. The, the weakness of these documents revolves around a few issues, and I just want to share them with you so you understand why, why we want to do what we want to do. Uh, first, and they concentrate the way they're structured, all decision-making authority within the elder board of the church, like all of it. Um, hiring staff, letting staff go, nominating elders and deacons, purchasing property, disbursements of church assets, like the, the congregation has, according to our constitution and bylaws, basically has very little or no input there. And, uh, while we believe the church is to be led by qualified and gifted men who serve in the office of elder, the reality is that we're not infallible. And, um, and there should be some mechanisms of accountability for us as leaders and for you as a congregation if, we're gonna, uh, if we choose wrongly to take the church in a bad direction, an ungodly direction, an unwise direction. The church should be able to uh, 
kind of yank the leash a little bit in terms of saying, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, and so we want to um, address some of those imbalances. Some of the mand- and then the second thing is some of the mandated practices of the church in terms of elder meetings and deacon numbers and some of things, those are things that we aren't doing. Um, we can't do some of them. Some of them are not practical, and, uh, are, and some of them are just spelled out incredibly specifically, like on what day of the week the elders must meet to have a meeting. Um, that's just, it's just too specific. Um, we, need to, we need to adjust that. And then the third weakness is that some second and third tier doctrinal distinctives like very specific details of eschatology and um, uh, specific views of spiritual gifts, those are elevated to be first tier level in terms of uh, allowing membership in the church. And I don't think that that is um, intended by God. Those things, there are things in scripture that are clear and that God's people universally agree upon. Things like the, the, the person and work of Christ, the Trinity, the gospel, you know, those are things. But the, you know, the specific details of eschatology, those, those things are not clear as they are as those other things. And so they, they need to be, uh, we, good and godly people can disagree on those and still be um, linked up together in ministry as genuine brothers and sisters. So, uh, those things are built into our constitution, and those are things that are built into our bylaws in a way that um, would make it difficult for s- genuine brothers and sisters in Christ to link arms in membership here in the body. And so uh, while we're not minimizing those doctrinal things, because we, we're not changing any doctrinal things, I just want to make clear, we're not talking about changing doctrinal things. We're talking about making these documents such that you don't have to affirm those specific doctrines in order to be a member, to, to be involved and committed to the church. And so what we want to do is um, we want to uh, thin some of those things out where they don't need to be and, uh, and make sure that we're able. Every church I've ever been at has always been able to receive people in their membership that don't agree on eschatology, as long as it's not, like, heretical. Um, you know what I mean? So if you come from a covenantal d- point of view, and we're obviously more dispensational in our approach to the relationship Old and New Testaments, like, you're still a Christian, and we still want you to be a part of this church. Um, just understanding what's going to be taught and is, 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 you know, that's all we need you to understand and not be divisive about it. But, but again, we want to make sure that that's not in the Constitution and bylaws. And, and then the last kind of weakness, I guess maybe a fourth thing, is they're just not as well organized as they could be. They kind of jump from topic to topic, and they're somewhat redundant in places. Um, so it's just uh, they're not as readable, they're not as searchable, and not as usable as they ought to be. So all that said... Son and I are going to work on um, a major amendment to the Constitution and bylaws over these next few months. And along the way, we'll be soliciting input from you all, membership of the church. And the goal will be to submit those amended documents to the church membership for review and approval sometime in the summer. So that's coming. Again, just to reiterate, we're not jettisoning or changing our doctrinal commitments. We're simply saying these documents um, need to reflect what we are going to do and how we're going to operate as a church body, covenant together, and we want those things to reflect how we actually do those things and address those issues. Um, and so we think this will strengthen the church in the long term, 
because if they're governing documents, they ought to govern. <laughs> and right now, they just aren't doing that in certain ways because, because we can't have a certain number of elders like we're required to have, or we can't, you know, we're not going to have elder meetings on Wednesday mornings at, or, you know, at 6.30 or whatever it says it's supposed to be. Um, so we want to make sure that we're not being too specific in those things. We want the documents to be useful, and that means they need to have a clearness to them, and they also need to have a mereness to them. Does that make sense in terms of they're not overly specific such that second and third tier doctrinal distinctives become tests of fellowship, tests of a person's testimony. So unclear, overly specific documents are, un, uh, are unhelpful. And so we want to we wanna bring those into alignment with our uh, convictions in terms of how we're to operate as a church. Uh, another thing, uh, secondly, related to this is um, we look across the church, there are a number of you who are rendering deacon quality service to the church. Uh, you, you guys are embodying the character and the service of a deacon, and, uh, and we need to recognize that as a church, and we have not um, been proactive in doing that. We want to affirm that officially and do that publicly. So along with streamlining our governing documents, we will be moving forward with deacon nominations very shortly so that we uh, can indeed, you know, affirm those and honor those, as Paul talks about. It is an honor and a blessing to be a, a deacon, to serve in that way. We can honor and empower those people in our church and continue in this, this work of making and maturing disciples of Christ. So we want to move forward in that. And so we would just ask for your patience as we get, get all that um, uh, rolled out. So so that's kind of one thing. And then a second thing under this heading of building up the body that I'm excited about is what we're going to call running together, sharing God's word. Running together, sharing God's word. One of the vital ways that the church builds itself up in love is, is through this work of encouraging one another. Uh, right? First Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Or the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 3 and verse 13, encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When, of course, the, the passage we know well, verse 25 of chapter 10, we are to not forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other, one another, um, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like encouragement is important. How we do that with each other is valuable and important. And the technology and the tools that we have now, in this time, right now, as a church, those things are, um, are here to aid us in a way that other generations simply couldn't do. They couldn't interact the same ease with the same, um, in the same uh, manner that we are able to interact and communicate with each other. So we want to take advantage of that. So what we're going to do is we want to take the things that you're learning, the things that you're studying, the things that you're reflecting on from the Word of God, and, uh, and we want to share those with the church in the form of um, a curated newsletter. Does that make sense? So during the week, if you read something, or you find something beneficial from, a, from the scriptures in your, in your quiet time, or you find a quote from a book on a spiritual topic that was insightful or well-stated, or you read a blog post on some theological issue that you found valuable and instructive, um, you can share that with um, 
with the church, with, and by that quote, that book, that reference, whatever, you can send it to the church Gmail address, and then uh, someone, I'm not exactly sure who's going to be, I mean, Son and I will have oversight of it, but someone is going to then sort through those and then write them up in a form of a short newsletter that will be distributed to the church over email. Um, and this will, this will do a couple things. One, it will allow us as a church body to benefit from what other people are learning in the church. And things that they're thinking about, the, it'll help unlock a kind of a treasure chest, treasure chest of good quality resources for future study, things to reflect on, meditation. I can't tell you how many times I am alerted to some good resource or some sermon or some uh, journal article or something that has just expanded my understanding of the Word of God through pastors who just say, hey, this is a great resource, and here's why, and they might throw that up on social media or, um, or just in a conversation. And I know that that's happening. I, I, I hear you guys talking about, oh, I was reading this, or this was really helpful, or I was thinking a lot about this. And, and, and that's great in terms of like our interaction or in terms of your interaction with one with another. But how much better if we could share that with the whole church and to do it in a way that is... Um, that is, uh, lifts all of us up. No one, here's the thing, no one has to contribute. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. You can just get the letter in your inbox and hopefully read it and then uh, be done with it. Uh, and, and I just want to say, just because you send something doesn't guarantee it's going to be included because depending on how much we have, we can't bury things. So what we're going to do is just rejoice in that, take a, a handful of those, curate them in terms of organizing them, write them up, and it'll be anonymous. So it's not going to be like, oh, Kate Kellum sent this quote from whatever. It's just going to be a quotation and a reason why it's beneficial. And that does two things. One, it, dis it discourages the temptation to promote yourself. This isn't about you. It doesn't matter who sends it. Um, it's going to be curated in the sense of it's going to be scrutinized so that if it's weird or not helpful or it won't see the light of day. <laughs> It'll go into the, it'll go into the inbox in the sky, the cloud. Um, but uh, so we don't want people feeling like they need to to uh, you know uh, posture themselves. But it also I think it, it it encourages people to participate who would otherwise be fearful. That would be feeling oh no one really cares if I send a quote, or no one really wants to know what I'm thinking, or they might be embarrassed about what it is that they're thinking about, or they're not comfortable with the whole church knowing that that's what they're meditating on. Listen, it'll be anonymous in terms of like, this is a good link, this is a good link, this is a helpful resource, that kind of thing. So that's the point of it. It's really just meant to encourage and stir up our hearts to deepen our knowledge of God such that we can distill down what others in the church are learning and benefit from that. In a, in a more orderly way. So um, that's as far as I've gotten with it. So what we, there's still more things to finalize, and I'll give you some examples, hopefully, so you can see how we want you to think about that and submit it and what, what, a, what a draft of a newsletter might look like so you can see. And I hope it's benefit to you. I think, I think that'll be a blessing. And um, again, not a lot of work other than just saying, hey, this is good. I'm going to cut and paste. I do that with, I have some online resources that help me save quotes. So if I'm reading a book in a Kindle format, I can just highlight it, and then those get automatically uploaded to a, um, a, a resource um, 
and uh, and then it uh, you know I can look them up in the future. I can sort them. I can add my own little notes to them. It's helpful. And I think uh, so many times I'll read something and it'll be like wow, and then like a week later I'm like what was that and where did I see that? And so so to have those resources available to you. I think will be beneficial. So, so that's those are kind of two things: church governance related things, documents, deacons, as well as this running together, sharing God's word um, effort. Lastly, our third point here: what were some of the what was some of the fruit of my study and reflection as it relates to the third leg of our philosophy of ministry: sowing gospel seed. And um, one of the most important avenues, and we talked about this in Equipping Hour this morning, is discipleship. In discipleship is handing down the gospel to the next generation. And, uh, and that, inc- that is primarily our, our children, the children who are part of our church. And the children's ministry of the church exists to do a number of things. Uh, let me just kind of spell them out for you. One is to maintain a safe and secure environment for our kids and they come on Sunday mornings or any other time. Uh, our goal is to is to make the church uh, an environment that is uh, easy to be in and safe for them to be in. Uh, secondly, the, 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 the children's ministries of the church exist to support and encourage parents who are the primary responsible uh, party, as it were, to teach biblical truth. So Ephesians 6, 4, which we read this morning, reminds us that, that we as parents are to bring up our children in the dis- discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we're not the only people that do that. The church is a big part of that, uh, and other believers can, can certainly do that. But we have that responsibility. We want to help parents do that, not to take the place of parents, but to help them do that. Uh, sec- uh, thirdly, we want to make, through the children's ministries of our church, the whole counsel of Scripture known to our children with a special focus on the gospel because they need Christ. So we want them to know the Word of God, but we also want them to know the gospel um, we have a responsibility to pray for children and to rely on the Spirit to regenerate their hearts through the teaching of His Word. So that's why in equipping, in, uh, excuse me, in children's church, we have a curriculum, and they're working through the whole Bible every three years. They go through the whole Scriptures, and there's always a tie back to the Gospel and how does this relate to Christ, so that they're hearing the Gospel a lot of different ways, week by week, and even. Um, some of the resources we hope to include in the nursery time can help introduce kids to just the basic concepts of who is Christ, what is the gospel, what is, you know, those kinds of things so that they can get a good foundation. Uh, the children's ministries of the church exist to um, help parents live faithfully before their children and to model for them how Christians are called to respond to God, interact with each other, and with the world. So how, how we conduct children's ministries has an effect on our kids. It helps them understand how does the world, uh, how, how do Christians live in fellowship one with another. We want to encourage children to learn to serve. So I think uh, one, especially as our kids get a little older, we want to encourage them through the children's ministries and youth ministries of our church to serve and not just be served. And we've always had great participation from our young people over the years. We want to maintain the highest ethical standards. That's really important. Such that volunteers and teachers always live and serve above reproach and protect the reputation of the gospel. And lastly, we want the children's ministries of our church to help them, prepare them to walk with God as adults when they grow up, meaning that they 
are ready to be part of the public services and hopefully a fully uh, committed member of the church with a clear testimony. So, so that's, what, that's our heart. And so to do that, we are working on building out policies, procedures, and training for our children's ministry volunteers that will, I think, grow with us as the church grows over the coming weeks and years. We want to bring the gospel to these little ones. We want to lay that foundation for the future, and that means making sure that when they come to church, that they're safe, that they're well cared for, and they're ready to receive God's word. And we also want to make sure that you who serve in those ministries are equipped with the tools to effectively teach and preach the word and, and to care for them and to do that in the best way possible. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be, as I mentioned in our announcements earlier, uh, doing some training for ministry, children's ministry volunteers. We're going to do some review. We're also putting together a uh, children's ministry policy that's a little bit more detailed than the one that we currently have so that you as servants and future servants, new families that come into the church, everything happens in a consistent, effective, and uh, manner that's above reproach. So you guys have been fantastic. I'm thrilled to see how people serve in that. I know it's not a, always a glorious ministry, but it's a necessary one. It's important. And uh, the people who have done it over the years have been so faithful to that. So thank you for it. And all to say, we, we continue to need help in those things. So if you're interested in participating in children's ministries in the future, but maybe now is not the right time, you can also be a part of that training that's going to happen next week. It's really open to whoever wants to come. And uh, that will we'll clarify some of the, we're going to do some review of what are our policies, clarify what the goals are, as well as some just risk management things. What do we do if there's a fire? What do we do if, um, you know, this or that situation arises so that everyone is um, better resourced to handle that, as well as even just what we're doing on Sunday mornings. So, so that's kind of one big thing. And then the last thing, real quick, that relates to sowing gospel seed that is kind of a fruit of my time off is I was just reminded that we are part of something greater than just seeing this church thrive. Um, we are part of Christ's church that spans the globe. And that means that we are not in competition with other like-minded churches, but we are in cooperation with those churches, Bible-believing churches, gospel-preaching churches, in our community and in the greater kind of region. One thing that continually catches me by surprise and was reiterated once again while we were visiting other churches is how consistently and faithfully those churches pray for us. And I was convicted because we have not returned that kindness. We have not interceded for those churches like they intercede for us. And I'll give you an example. Last summer, we went to Baltimore Bible Church. George Lawson, great longtime friend, a like-minded church. We just, we just showed up one Sunday. I had a Sunday off here, and we went. We were visiting my cousin in the area. And we showed up unannounced, didn't talk to George, didn't let anybody know. But sure enough, in the, in the bulletin, they have a church that they can remember to pray for. And, of course, it's us. And they pray for us during the service before they ever knew we were coming. And it wasn't, wasn't posturing on their part. So that was kind of convicting. <laughs> um, later on that year, we went to Cross Light Bible Fellowship down in Falls Church. 
And uh, again, we just showed up. We like to just show up. <laughs> just show up on a Sunday, and sure enough, in the bulletin, there we are. This is the church we're praying for this week, and they prayed for us during the service. Super convicting. So the first Sunday that we were on break here, we went to Sterling Park Baptist. Again, no announcement, never talked to Mike, never let him know we were coming. Of course, it's a big church. It was really easy to slide in and disappear. About, I don't know, third of the way through the service, some elder gets up and he's praying for all kinds of different things. And he starts praying for different churches in the area. And he starts praying for us. And then he prayed for me specifically by name, which was really weird because I was like kind of looking like, <laughs> did he just say my name out loud? And we walked out and we were like, okay, we need to do this. <laughs> we need to, these people are kind enough to go before the Lord and intercede for us and for the work of the gospel that's happening here. They love us that much that they would go before the Lord and pray for us by name. We need to do that as well. And so all to say, uh, we, need to, we will be uh, doing that for uh, these churches in our community. Um, and even if we're not on the page uh, every jot until uh, doctrinally speaking, we can still pray for the work of the gospel that's happening in these places. And we need to understand that the, God is at work in these places. And, uh, and we, want, we want them to thrive because their faithfulness, their growth, their influence for Christ means greater glory to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that happens, then it's a win. It's a win. As Paul, as John said, he, uh, Christ must increase and we must decrease. And we want, we believe that in the things that we believe and we are unashamed of those things and we preach and teach and, and instruct and, and shepherd according to those things. Uh, but there are many, many other faithful brothers and sisters out there and uh, we want them. And again, as the gospel goes out in our community, that's only a benefit as people are coming to know the Lord growing in being discipled in churches and being shepherded. So um, super convicting uh, and uh, really uncanny how the Lord's providence worked all that out. So we were just reminded that we need to love and pray for others uh, in our community. So that's kind of a summary of where, uh, what things I took away from our time. I'm sure there's more stuff, more resources um, and maybe I'll sprinkle those into the newsletter, as <laughs> you can see. But you won't know it's me, so so you have to read it diligently. And you won't, probably won't matter if it's me or not, because nobody cares. But the point is, um, I just am incredibly grateful for the time away, grateful for the rest, uh, grateful for the time just to think. And I'm excited for some of these changes. I'm excited for the opportunities that are in front of us. And again, we want to, as leaders, equip the saints for the work of service. That's our goal. And you guys embrace that. And we want to get out of our own way and do that even more effectively. And we're asking for your encouragement and participation. Pray. So pray for us. Pray for Son, myself, especially as we're working through some of these um, documents and, and kind of figuring out what do we need to include? How do we want to structure certain things? Uh, what, what do we do if the church wants to purchase property down the road? Like, those are all things we need to kind of hammer out. How specific do we want to be? How do we want to involve the church body in those things? And, um, and edit that. And then we're, again, excited for the things we're going to study. So beginning next Sunday, we'll look at Isaiah, start through our, our kind of high-level study of Isaiah.
Parenting for Life is on Sunday mornings, 9.15 for equipping hour. Hope that you can be a part of that as well. And, uh, and we're looking forward to a, a, a fruitful season of ministry. So with that, I'm way over time. I'm going <laughs> to shut down, pray, and then uh, we'll have a final song and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you again for this time of rest and refreshment that the church has allowed for me and for our family. We thank you for the things we've learned. We know that everything we have, we have because of you. And um, so help us to put these things into practice. Help us to embrace them in the way that we ought. Lord, help us to grow as a church, that your name and your fame might extend to more and more uh, for the praise of the glory of your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message. For more information or more messages like this, visit us at cascadesbiblechurch.com or subscribe via your favorite podcast app.